Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome, everyone, to another edition of BAMS Radio. Uh, as we're about to preview the Alabama Crimson Tide's SEC opener uh, as the, as the Tide, the top-ranked team in college football, will travel to undefeated Vanderbilt. When did you think you'd ever say that? Uh, as Derek Mason and the Commodores are 3-0 and following a 14-7 home win over the number 18-ranked uh, uh, Kansas State Wildcats of a longtime coach Bill Snyder in his second tenure uh, in Manhattan, Kansas. But I'm your host, Judy Armand, with Thomas Watts, the wizard behind the curtain, uh, my co-host and producer extraordinaire, and our third amigo, as always, William Redfish Barger, 1992 national champion uh, from 89 to 93, a member of the Crimson Tide, and one of the foremost insiders with the Crimson Tide program. Uh, and uh, he's uh, he, uh, he does an outstanding job. We always enjoy getting his insight into Alabama. And William, uh, welcome tonight uh, to BAMS Radio. How are you doing? Doing great, Cass. How are y'all? And I guess, first of all, we, we got to take a look back at Colorado State. 41-23 to 23 win for the Crimson Tide. Uh, you know, it was a, a very impressive uh, performance by the ones on offense, I felt like, except for maybe a couple of areas uh, in short yardage and didn't finish a couple of drives, but then that allowed uh, Andy Papanastas to make a 43- and 46-yard field goal to continue his hot start to the year. Now 7 of 9 on field goal attempts. Uh, the defense down, uh, you know, five linebackers, and really uh, they ended up down a sixth in the second half when we didn't see Jamie Mosley. So uh, they had a lot of young guys on the field. Uh, a guy like uh, Joshua McMillan, who is someone who's been a third-team scout team player pretty much his whole career, played a lot of snaps, and ended up, I think, taking a toll on Alabama in the second half. But, William, overall, just your impressions on uh, what you saw from the Crimson Tide this past Saturday night in Bryant-Denny Stadium. You know, I, I was – I was pleased with it. Um, you know, I, the, the one thing that I will say is, you know, that's that's two games in a row um, where I thought that, you know, Nick Saban inserted the, the second-team quarterback in, and, you know, it was kind of a drive stopper, took points off the board on drives that possibly could have produced at least another touchdown or maybe a field goal. Um, but I understand why he's doing it. You know, when you've got a, a dual-threat quarterback like Jalen Hurts, you know, you, you never know when he's going to get hit the wrong way, fall on his shoulder, twist an ankle. So, you know, you've got to get a, a true freshman who's still trying to find, um, you know, a comfort level with, with you know, big-time college football and, and get adjusted to that. You've got to get him reps. But, um, you know, I, I like seeing what Brian Dayball's doing. Um, you know, I want to see more of, you know, Bo Scarborough, you know, getting swing passes out of the backfield. Um, you know, there's, 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 there's not, it's not a bad decision to try and get a man the size of Bo Scarborough that's, you know, 240 pounds, runs a 4540, a full head of steam, and throw him a lateral pass and unleash him. Um, I, I really like seeing that. You know, I think that's something um, that, that, you know, a guy that's been hurt um, going all the way back to fall camp and Josh Jacobs, I think that's something that he can contribute to this squad as well. Um, you know, you hate to see 
you know, Miller Forrestal get loot, you know, lost for the year. Uh, but, you know, again, I think there's another, you know, really dynamic player um, at that same position that, that can contribute there and maybe get some more touches. And Irv Smith, you know, a guy that's, you know, in the, the 235 range that runs a 4-5-40. Um, you know, I, I kind of wonder just how much of, of Brian Dayball's playbook um, that we've seen through the first three games, maybe you see it get expanded a little bit Saturday. Um, but, you know, it's, it's funny, Drew. You, you, you know, I don't know how you do what you do for a living. Um, you know, having to deal with all these pissed off Alabama fans that flood the message boards and the, the radio call-in shows. Um, you know, just, it, it really, it's, it's almost like it doesn't matter what any offensive coordinator um, at Alabama does. They're always going to find something to nitpick and complain about. And, uh, you know, right now it seems to be the flavor of the week is, you know, Jalen Hurts is getting too many opportunities to leave the pocket early and run. Uh, why are we ignoring the, uh, you know, all the five-star running backs and, you know, we're not getting the ball to the five-star wide receivers enough. And, um, you know, that was kind of the battle cry under the three years of Lane Kiffin of jet sweeps and bubble screens. And, you know, everybody was crying about, you know, us not establishing that, you know, kind of Jim McElwain identity of the offense where, where they were kind of a run-heavy team and, you know, only through when it was a necessity. And that's what I see Brian Dayball doing. But, um, you know, people don't seem to be happy with that. And, you know, my, my point on the Colorado State game and probably even going back to Fresno State would be um, maybe Jalen Hurts isn't going through his progressions you know, from the first, second, third, fourth option, and he's taken off and running. But when opposing defensive coordinators, um, and it's probably more the opposing linebackers and safeties making a bad drop and rolling to the wrong side of the field. But when you vacate the middle of the field like that and Jalen Hurts can, you know, take off and pick up 15 or 20 yards a clip, um, why is that a bad idea and why does that make people upset? Agreed, William. Uh, I, you know, I, I think it, I would give the offense an A uh, from this past Saturday as far as the ones. I, I thought they played at a very high level. I thought it was Jalen Hurts' best game in a Crimson Tide uniform when you watched him go through his progressions. Uh, you know, I had one genius uh, on the Twittersphere uh, hit me up with a uh, that Jalen Hurts uh, only is a one-read quarterback, and if he, if he uh, doesn't hit his first read, he takes off running. And his biggest example was the last pass he threw to Devontae Smith that he stared at him the whole time when uh, it was about the third read that Jalen went through. So some of these guys uh, that are uh, an analyzing Alabama football uh, wouldn't know a football if it hit him in the forehead. Uh, he also told me that Alabama needed a new defensive line coach, that uh, Carl Dunbar wasn't getting enough out of the group. Uh, and then I, I told him, uh, well, if he, if he uh, knew everything, he needed to, to uh, fax his resume to Nick Saban and maybe they would hire him. Uh, I didn't hear much more yeah, from him after that. Have you sent your resume to Nick yet, Greg? Uh, well, I, I, I guess uh, he told me he might hire my ass a, a couple weeks ago, but I haven't gotten a phone call. So I guess they've uh, they've liked the progress of the offensive line under Brent Key. I think that group's making progress. I still don't think, you know, they've completely gelled. 
We'll see uh, how much you know how they play against Vanderbilt. I thought they were better in pass protection against Colorado State, and I thought they started to get some of that push in the running game. I talked to Mike Johnson this week on my show. He uh, tended to agree. He he really thought that the left side was finally it was making some progress, uh, and uh, he and that uh, and they were starting to come together as a group. So we'll see. And and I will say this too, William. I hated to see Miller Forstall go down on his first catch of the year. But it does open up, uh, you know, uh, a, the option for him, and I'm sure they're going to take advantage of that, of medically redshirting uh, the young man from Cartersville, Georgia. And it gives one of Coach Saban's favorites, uh, Ronnie Clark, maybe an avenue to get on the field some, even though it was reported in practice today that Brian Robinson was seen in the media viewing period working with the H's, which is a very interesting development. But I, I would think Ronnie Clark, with his experience, would be given the option first, and they would try to redshirt Brian Robinson. But just what, were, what are your thoughts on, you know, I, and of course we know Hale Hinches and, and Irv Smith, as you mentioned, will get most of the rest. But do you think Ronnie Clark may have a role now? Well, starting first with the offensive line, and you know, I realize it's a small sample size, but, you know, through three games, I think, and I totally agree with you, I still think it's a work in progress. Um, you know, the thing that's really jumped off the page at me is you, you, you haven't seen any of the pre-snap penalties, um, especially at the end of last year that kind of plagued the Alabama offensive line. You know, you don't see the, you know, the false starts and illegal procedures and that kind of stuff that, you know, was occurring, you know, three or four times a game. I mean, I think that's benefited them as, benefited them as well. Um, you know, as far as Ronnie Clark, um, you know, man, when you've got two surgically rebuilt Achilles heels, um, you know, I, I, I just think that's a, a red flag. I mean, I'm not going to name any names, but I've got a former roommate of mine um, who, whose career in the NFL was ended because of, of that same, you know, having to have both of them redone. It's you know, kind of a career killer. Um, so, I, you know, I kind of expect, you know, Smith and, and Hinch's, um, you know, to be the focal point there. And it doesn't surprise me. Um, I, I had not heard that until you told me that, that Brian Robinson, you know, had been spotted working out with the H's. When, when you look at his size and his speed, um, you know, I know Brian Dayball, um, you know, spoke to a lot of people um, post-spring practice, pre-fall camp, about really wanting to try and involve him this year and possibly not redshirted. Um, and I think a lot of that has to do with the fact, if you, if you look at, um, you know, the guys that are on campus that are veterans, you know, Bo Scarborough, Damian Harris, and even to a, a lesser extent, Josh Jacobs, it's kind of hard to call him a veteran, even though he's a second-year player. You know, all three of those guys missed time last year, in, in, in Jacobs' case, last year and this year, you know, with injuries. So, it makes sense for them to, you know, kind of want to involve Najee Harris and Brian Robinson, um, you know, in the offensive game plan, uh, you know, not just to, you know, get them reps to be a, a reserve that's ready to step up. But, you know, you never know. I mean, you know, Bo Scarborough's got a pretty checkered history with injuries going all the way back to his sophomore year of high school. Um, so, you know, and, and again, you know, you, you've got to kind of try and keep everybody happy um, with, with playing time and touches, uh, you know, to kind of prevent what happened 
uh, what was that, the 2014 season when, when Alvin Kamara, Tyron Jones, and LT Tenpenny, you know, all got frustrated and transferred out. So, um, you know, I, I think you bring up a valid point as far as Ronnie being involved, uh, but I just don't know how much involvement he'll have. You know, guys, uh, I want to jump back real quick to something y'all were bringing up about Jalen Hurts. And I just want to lay out a scenario because I, I think it could legitimately come to pass regarding how good Jalen Hurts has looked thus far in this season. And it, it goes on a couple of assumptions, so just bear with me. Give me 30 seconds. If you assume that the Heisman Trophy is won in November, Jalen Hurts is going to play – uh, an LSU team where the game's still going to be hyped up, even though I think uh, the Muppet down in Baton Rouge is going to run that team into the ground by the time Alabama is, comes on the schedule. A Mississippi State team that's pretty good, and an Auburn team that's pretty good. And that ignores anybody should Alabama be in the SEC championship game. Of course, assuming Alabama continues to win, et cetera, et cetera. But I could see is, – is am I crazy in saying it's very – plausible that Jalen Hurts could be in the thick of the Heisman Trophy conversation come November assuming health like do you think he's that good go ahead well, Thomas he was he was Thomas he was in the thick of the Heisman hunt going into November of, of his true freshman year last year uh you know Bruce Feldman um you know was kind of leading the charge there along with uh, Pete Futak from from the college football news website and uh you know I think the you know, Aranda slowing him down last year versus LSU kind of quieted that down a little bit. You know, then it kind of jumped back up when he had, uh, you know, a 300-yard passing performance against Auburn um, and, and you know, got out in space on one run and, and humiliated Carl Lawson um, in the Auburn game. But then, of course, it all kind of went away once they got into the, uh, you know, the postseason play with the SEC championship and the, the playoffs. But, yeah, I mean, he, he certainly could uh, be a factor, um, you know, in that race, in my opinion. When you look at it, um, you know, the, the star players uh, of the best teams um, always get a long, hard look for that award. And, you know, right now, if you look at just a small sample size, that's why I'm glad that, that, that the college football playoff committee does what they do from, from October 1st and on versus taking the, the, the month of September out of the equation. Um, but, you know, if, if you look at, at what's happened in the first three games, um, he's the best player at two different positions on the Alabama football team. He's the best quarterback, and he's the best rusher. Um, now, there's going to be a lot of Alabama fans that, you know, come screaming in and saying, well, you know, he can't make this throw and he can't make that throw. And, um you know, we should be giving the ball more to Damian Harris. But, you know, part of being a quarterback is taking what the defense gives you. And part of being a quarterback for Nick Saban is protecting the football and not generating turnovers. And, you know, I could provide numerous, you know, statistical uh, evidence to, you know, prove that to be true. You know, even Coach Saban has a saying that he said publicly um, that his goal on the offensive side of the football is to have every offensive series end with a kick, uh, whether it's a punt, whether it's an attempt at a field goal, or whether it's an attempt at an extra point. As long as it ends with a kick, he's good with it. 
which that means is don't turn the ball over. And so far through three games, I think that's one, you know, major area of improvement that Jalen Hurts has accomplished so far for this season. You know, when you look at the first snap of his first college game, you know, last year versus USC, it was a fumble. Um, and, you know, he did, you know, lay the ball on the ground a lot um, while he was running last year, you know, in some ball security areas trying to pick up extra yards. You know, he's yet to do that this year. But to, to piggyback on what you just said, Thomas, and I'm not saying it's going to happen, but what you're saying is not far-fetched as far as him being a possible Heisman Trophy candidate. Yes, if he continues to protect the football, and Alabama is one of only three teams in the country that hasn't suffered a turnover, and uh, one of those others being Miami, but Miami's only played one game due to, to uh, Hurricane Harvey and Hurricane Irma, uh, the storms that have blown through Texas and Florida, respectively. Uh, the uh, the Crimson Tide has done a remarkable job of uh, avoiding uh, mistakes and uh, putting themselves in a really good position. Uh, Jalen Hurts is playing at a very high level. Uh, as I said, I would give the offense a, an A grade against Colorado State. Uh, also, uh, if just to, to William, to switch conversation to the defense, there's been some concern about that side of the ball. About the pass rush, uh, I heard Will Lowry, former Alabama defensive back, talking about, and he had some of the same concerns I did. I'm not as worried about the pass rush as I am that the run defense has been a little soft, but I think a lot of that has to do uh, with the linebacker core being decimated because there's been some missed assignments in the passing game. Uh, Coach Saving was talking about the mental errors, and just overall, you can't uh, lose that many guys in one area of your defense because Coach Saban's scheme is so complicated uh, communication is a big part of it. They're having to play a lot of inexperienced and young guys, especially in that linebacker core. Yeah, and, you know, when they have the, the full, um, you know, fill of their linebackers, you know, they had, you know, their their, their edge setter at, at Jack and Anthony Jennings versus Florida State. And they had Rashawn Evans, and they had their two you know, starting rabid edge rushers and Christian Miller and Terrell Lewis. Um, you know, I think that that was a, you know, kind of a, a point that a lot of people were picking uh, Florida State to win that ball game over was they felt like Florida State was going to have some success, uh, you know, running the football in Alabama, and they did. You know, I think they had, correct me if I'm wrong, it was somewhere between 48 and 60 yards rushing in that game. And so, you know, getting a guy like Rashawn Evans and Anthony Jennings back, you know, to me, that that would be the the toughest decision if I was Nick Saban, um, you know, going into the Vanderbilt game this weekend. You know, you certainly want to get, you know, a guy like Dylan Moses and Rashawn Evans and Anthony Jennings, the three out of the five that are, um, you know, available possibly. You certainly want to get them involved, but, I personally would be real careful, um, you know, about doing that. Um, you know, Jennings had to have a surgery. Um, you know, Rashawn's got a, you know, a growing injury um, that can be problematic if you if you put him back out there too soon. And you know, they're going up against a team Saturday, albeit it's three and zero. You know, who cares if they beat Kansas State? I mean, what two years ago? Uh, a five-loss Auburn team went to Kansas State and beat them at home on Thursday night on ESPN. I, you know, 
if you just look at the the talent level and the matchup of this Alabama Vanderbilt game, you know, I think that's you know, of course, that's why Nick Saban gets paid the amount of money that he gets paid is to make these kind of decisions. I, I don't know how early and often I would play those two guys, um, you know, considering the level of injuries that they had. But you know, Alabama's got one of the the top medical staffs in college football that makes that determination. You know, and certainly a guy that's got a proven track record, Nick Saban, um, you know, for, for pulling that string. Um, you know, I just think that, you know, they're they're going into a team that's probably very well coached. Um, you know, their players are buying in and believing. But, but Alabama, you know, when you start looking at, you know, talent level, um, th- this is kind of a, uh, you know, a no-brainer um, you know, one side of the, the field Saturday is going to be much more talented than the other. And, you know, going back to the Colorado State game, Drew, when you talk about that stuff, you know, when they had the starters in there and they weren't experimenting with different guys, um, you know, the offense really didn't have trouble moving the ball, converting third down, scoring points. Um, you know, if they hadn't have inserted two when they did, you know, that, that could have been 48 points instead of 41. Um, you know, the defense was being pretty stingy. I, you know, I think for the first two and a half quarters, uh, the Alabama defense, being as depleted as they are, did a pretty good job against, you know, a team that went to a bowl game last year. So uh, that's kind of what I'm looking forward to against Vanderbilt Saturday is to, you know, see how Brian Dayball, maybe he peels another layer off the onion in his playbook. You know, how do they attack him? Uh, how do they attack Vanderbilt? Um, you know, does Vanderbilt maybe try and take a linebacker and spy Jalen Hurts to prevent some of these 15- to 20-yard, you know, uh, gaping runs that he's been able to pull off? You know, if they do that, in my mind, um, you know, the counterpoint to that is if they do spy him with a linebacker, that sets up some really um, – you know, explosive play scenarios and run pass option plays. You know, you, you run him out there at the spy, either to the left or the right. You know, if the spy drops in coverage, Jalen takes off and run. Um, if the spy decides to rush, uh, you know, you drop the ball over the spy's head um, to a Hale Hinches or a Calvin Ridley or, you know, maybe another play like you saw from Robert Foster last Saturday. So, um, you know, I think Alabama's in a – you know, the, the driver's seat with this game versus Vanderbilt Saturday. You know, Vanderbilt's the one that's playing at home. Um, they, they have to kind of prove, uh, after Nick Saban called them a, a top 25 football team, that they actually belong there. And, you know, I just think that, you know, Jeremy Pruitt and Brian Dayball just has to play, you know, fundamentally sound football on both sides of the ball. And, uh, you know, I could very easily see, uh, you know, if the execution is good, I could very easily see them covering the spread. And uh, we, I agree with that. Uh, I think the spread I saw, I looked uh, uh, today, and it was, I think it had started at 19 and a half. Now it's 18 and a half. Again, I'd give this, the defense probably a C plus. Uh, they gave up too much in the second and the, in the fourth quarters, but I think they did lose some intensity too. Uh, and, you know, there was uh, a lot made of what Sean Dion Hamilton and Hootie Jones said uh, in the locker room afterwards. 
you know, I was there uh, inter- with both those guys, and they, they, they talked about, and Sean Dion Hamilton called the defensive effort pathetic and said they were going to have a come-to-Jesus meeting and a t- team meeting without the coaches on Monday. Not known if that uh, took place. Minka Fitzpatrick was quoted as saying it had not and that they were going to be fine. But you were a part of the Alabama football team, and, of course, uh, you played the sport your whole life. How significant are players-only meetings, and uh, do you think that uh, that that uh, that needs needs to happen with this defense, or is it just a matter of getting the pieces back on the field? Well, I totally agree with what you just said. I think part of it's getting the pieces back out there. Number one, number two, um, you know, I, I think what Sean Dion Hamilton was trying to express, and, and he probably you know, turned into Nick Saban there for, for the, the brief minute that he said it as far as the players only meeting. Those those don't take place very often. Um, well, I mean, actually, they take place every day before practice when they're in their individual meetings. But what Sean Dion Hamilton was trying to express to all these young players, and you saw a lot of them. Um, you know, I, I, I had to, you know, get on my phone and look up who number 25 was. I was surprised to see. Xavier McKinney in there as early as he was. But, you know, there's a standard that's been set, uh, you know, going all the way back to, you know, the 2008 season when, you know, Rolando McClain and Donta Hightower were, and, and Mark Barron and those guys were setting it. Um, and I think that's who he was talking to was the young players, that, you know, there's an expectation and a standard. You know, it's in any organization that's successful you know, both in sports and, and, you know, the private sector. And I think that's what Sean Dion was trying to say. Um, you know, you, you saw some, some defensive linemen get absorbed by blocks. They had trouble separating. Colorado State had some success running the football. Um, you know, Alabama had trouble uh, stopping them on third down conversions. So, you know, you know Drew, this happens um, every year. Um, yeah, I can go back to the 2012 season um, you know, after a, a national championship team. That's why you can't really get too upset or too excited about what happens in the month of September. You know, after uh, flooring, you know, the game was over with in the third quarter. After Alabama floored Michigan in the season opener of 2012, their home opener against Western Kentucky, um, you know, a, a first-round draft pick, and D.J. Fluker gave up four sacks the next week to Western Kentucky. Um, you know, does that mean that D.J. Fluker's not a, you know, a great right tackle? I mean, he's still playing in the NFL, even though he's at guard now. But, you know, it's just hard to get the players' attention. Um, you, you can sit there and tell them, you know, how good a, a you know, Western Kentucky or a Colorado State or a Vanderbilt really is, but you know, it falls on deaf ears. Um, you know, I think that's one of the the unique things about, you know, playing in the Southeastern Conference is, you know, there's certain games that the coaches and the players circle on that schedule every year. You know, Nick Saban's done a great job of getting season openers against quality out-of-conference opponents. But, you know, it's, it's, it's no different than it was 10 years ago when he first started. You know, they – they circle that Tennessee game, they circle that LSU game, and they circle that Auburn game. And, you know, I, I kind of laughed at what Thomas was saying, um, you know, about the Mississippi State-LSU uh, game. Um, man, that, that was painful to watch. 
And, you know, anybody that thinks, and, and certainly, you know, the ejections, uh, you know, contributed to the final score being what it was. But, you know, truth be told, uh, before they even occurred, you know, Mississippi State was better on both sides of the line of scrimmage than LSU was. And, you know, that's kind of where this LSU program is. You know, I, I personally thought, and I was actually told this, by a member of the Alabama coaching staff. You know, they were very concerned um, with what, you know, the new offensive coordinator, Matt Canada, was going to bring to the table. He had a reputation of, you know, doing a lot of pre-snap movement and motion that confused the defense. But, you know, at the end of the day, uh, you know, they didn't have an offensive line that was good enough for three years to uh, get Leonard Fournette the Heisman Trophy. They still don't have one this year. Uh, Danny Etling is still Danny Etling. Um, and, you know, when you look at their their front seven personnel on the defensive side of the football, um, you know, they, they've kind of got some thick thumper linebackers that just aren't equipped to get out there and deal with a phenomenal athlete that's playing quarterback for Mississippi State, Nick Fitzgerald. Um so, you know, I, I expect by the time they pop up on the schedule in November um, that they're probably going to be a bruised and battered team. And I would say the same thing about uh, Mississippi State. You know, if something were to happen to Nick Fitzgerald or Jeffrey Simmons, uh, Mississippi State could be a much, much uh, different team than what Alabama might see in November. And, again, you know, I kind of go back to, uh, you know, what Nick Saban and Jeremy Pruitt was able to do to uh, Nick Fitzgerald last year. That was not a pretty thing that took place in Bryant-Denny Stadium in November. No, it was not. It was a complete beatdown. And really the last uh, great performance out of that football team uh, on both sides of the ball, I believe the final score uh, was 52-3, to and, it, and it, it really wasn't that close. I just remember every after every defensive series, uh, when Alabama would get a stop, Nick Fitzgerald, I watched him from the press box. He would take a deep breath when he got back to the sideline. I don't think he had seen well, a defense that fast. Well, Drew, I, I actually didn't get to see the game um, until Sunday, but I thought about you. Because um, I knew how you know adamant you were about Alabama taking this kid out of here in Birmingham uh, from Shades Valley High School, but you know you got to give credit. You know there, there's a reason you know that Dan Mullen has never been able to move on to to a, a better program than Mississippi State. He, he doesn't interview well. You know he doesn't really have good people skills as far as you know in the public sector. You know doing interviews on on TV and. Um, you know, he was the leading candidate two different times in the last, you know, seven years uh, for the Miami job and just bombed his interview. But I got to say this, man, that guy can find quarterbacks that nobody else thinks is worthy of a SEC caliber scholarship offer and, you know, turn them into what he did with that Dak Prescott and what he's done with Nick Fitzgerald. Um, but that play design, uh, from an X's and O's standpoint, when when they, uh, you know, kind of put your boy Keith Mixon from Shades Valley High School here in Birmingham in motion, um, you know, he kind of, you know, faked like he was going to block, and then he took off on the on the uh, streak route. That that was absolute football wizardry. 
And so you, you got to give, you know, for, for all of, of Dan Mullins, um, you know, personality quirks, you know, when it comes to identifying and developing a quarterback and, and also drawing up X's and O's, um, you know, the, the guy's got that part of it down. And I'll say this, you know, I really felt like just from looking at him from an eye test, I thought Mississippi State's offensive line uh, looked physically superior to LSU's, and I thought on the other side of the ball, their front seven, you know, as far as getting off the bus, um, was, was physically superior to what LSU put out on the field from an offensive line standpoint. And before we talk about uh, the performance we thought Alabama had in the kicking game against Colorado State, I have to ask you, since Dan Mullen and Mississippi State are the topic right now, what kind of chance do you give them of going to Athens, Georgia, and getting a win? You know, I think if you look at what Old Miss did to Georgia last year, you know, with Chad Kelly and, and you know, those wide receivers, um, I think Mississippi State's kind of bringing the same thing to the table. Um, and I think even though he's a, a bigger guy and taller, I think Nick Fitzgerald is probably the closest thing that I've seen this year um, to what Jalen Hurts brings to the table. Um, you know, he's a, he's a, you know, he, he can make most of the passes. Um, he's obviously a run threat. You know, he's, he's got RPO capabilities. Um, you know, I, I you know, I, I think, you know, that's probably the, the biggest toss up that I've seen, um, you know, in the pick sheet that I do every week with, with my coworkers at work. Cause I just put a big question mark by that one. And, you know, I just don't know. Um, it could go either way, but uh, certainly um, when, when you look at, you know, Kirby Smart's tenure as the defensive coordinator at Alabama and, you know, what's caused him problems, um, you know, three games into his second year as the head coach at, at Georgia, uh, you know, Nick Fitzgerald and that Dan Mullen offense, that, that's, that's a problem for Kirby. You know, gun to my head, if I had to make a pick, you know, if, if the same team that played LSU Saturday is, is fully healthy versus what I've seen out of Georgia this year, I'm going with Mississippi State. Um, that being said, that's that's something that, you know, we'll have to see is, you know, Dan Mullen's development as a head coach when he's gotten one of these big wins in the past, you know, versus a team that he probably wasn't supposed to be like he wasn't supposed to be LSU Saturday night. You know, they've tended to have a letdown the week, uh, the next week. So, um, I think that is truly a question mark game, and I think it could go either way. But it would not shock me to see uh, them take down Kirby Smart in Georgia this Saturday. And I know you said that uh, Dan Mullen doesn't interview well, and, and that's right. He was His name came up prominently at Miami a couple of times, also at Penn State. Uh, I think when – when uh, when uh, when Bill O'Brien first left and they hired James Franklin. Uh, but if, if their team is as good as they were back in uh, 2014 during Dak Prescott's junior year and they reached number one in the country, do you think we're finally going to see a university pluck Dan Mullen away? Because there could be some uh, very interesting jobs open at the end of the season. You know, I, I think if I'm Dan Mullen, um, I, you know, the guy's probably got a job as long as he wants at Mississippi State. And they have done a fantastic job from a university level, you know, at supporting him. I mean, their facilities 
are in the top half, or I'd say the top third, you know, of the SEC. Um, they, they've got a fantastic weight room. They've done some fantastic stadium renovations to, you know, back when I was playing was a dump. Um, you know, they, they've, they've, they've given him the checkbook, you know, to write the checks as he wants to. Um, but, yeah, I, I think there's going to be several jobs that could possibly come open, uh, you know, after this season's over with that, you know, if he got into a situation where, you know, if I was a, you know, one of the powers to be at Texas A&M, uh, he would certainly get a look. Um, if Auburn decides to do something with, with Gus Malzahn, uh, you know, they've already got the personnel in place. Uh, I, I would kind of be scared to see what, what Dan Mullen could do in the SEC uh, with a true freshman quarterback named Malik Willis, who's probably the, the best quarterback on Auburn's roster to execute Gus Malzahn's offense. You know, he's a, a Nick Marshall guy, um, you know, that, that's got the ability to do the RPOs and the zone reads, that kind of stuff. But, you know, Dan Mullen is going to continue to get looks from bigger schools uh, you know, I guess it's up to him to, uh, you know, maybe hire a, a you know, a, a personality coach to teach him how to, you know, execute these interviews a little bit better. Uh, but again, you know, when you look at it, um, he's in an envious position over there in the state of Mississippi uh, next year for the 2019 recruiting cycle, the state of Mississippi is loaded from top to bottom with probably the most amount of talent to come out of that state in, in, in 20 to 25 years. Um, Old Miss is probably fixing to get the hammer dropped on him. You know, he, he could sit over there at Mississippi State and uh, keep winning Egg Bowls and beating LSU and, you know, winning, you know, nine games a year. And, you know, the people in Starkville are happy with that. But I, I do think if you're a Dan Mullen, you know, you, you've been to – Utah with Urban Meyer. You've been to Florida with Urban Meyer. You recruited Cam Newton. Um, you know, you, you produced Tim Tebow. You know, I do think there's got to be a, a what-if factor there, um, you know, from Dan Mullen. If, if he could get in the right place that can attract, you know, elite talent and has all the resources, where, where he's got to wonder what if. Uh, but we'll just have to wait and see. And, you know, from what I saw Saturday night, you know, he, he's got the horses. He doesn't have the depth, but he's got, you know, a first 22 on the Mississippi State roster that can cause problems uh, for pretty much every team left on his schedule. And he, and uh, they do right now look like they're taking advantage of what could still be a real rebuilding and weaker SEC and trying to jump into the upper half of the Western Division. Uh, but, William, uh, before we kind of talk uh, some more SEC football, I wanted to go back and, and finish our review of Colorado State. Uh, Alabama on the special team side of the ledger, I thought they were very solid in the kicking game. I'd probably have, have given that uh, an A-. minus. You know, you, you, of course, uh, J.K. Scott missed a 52-yard field goal, but he hit it well. It was nearly good. We saw Papa Nostos uh, extend his range a little bit and prove that he can make a kick from 43 and 46 yards. He's now 7 of 9 and has really been a pleasant surprise the first three weeks of the season. Uh, I think they do need a little bit more out of the return game, and Nick Saban was asked about that at his uh, press conference this evening. 
he said he thought they'd done a good job, but that they probably needed to, to do a little bit better job of blocking. We've talked about maybe getting rugs more involved, maybe even as a punt returner. Uh, but overall, I thought the coverage units were pretty solid. Uh, and uh, we've, we've continued to see Mac Wilson, uh, who would get a game ball from me. Once again, a really good special teams player. Uh, but just your thoughts on the uh, the kicking game and uh, what we saw against Colorado State, and and really uh, what's uh, it was there was a lot of questions about it, especially at place kicker to start the season. But it's been pretty solid thus far. Well, you know, uh, and I don't really know the, the formula or the criteria that ESPN uses to uh, you know rank field goal kickers, but they've got Papanostas ranked number one, and that's that's a you know like like you know, sailing across the Pacific Ocean from San Francisco to Australia from what you and I were talking about, Drew, after the first scrimmage that I went to. Oh, yeah, um, and the spring know, was I a disaster. You, you, <laughs> yeah, you know, how bad pop, not only Papanostas, but the true freshman Bulova looked. Um, and I thought it was interesting that, that Nick Saban kind of chimed in in his press conference this week and, you know, said where he's seen multiple uh, place kickers struggle um, I don't know if it's with the surface or, you know, the the stadium or whatever, but at least according to Nick Saban, he's seen several field goal kickers struggle um, with accuracy, you know, over there at the new Mercedes Stadium in Atlanta since they played. But certainly, I mean, I think what, what a lot of people thought was going to be a weakness for Alabama, you know, has turned into a strength. And, and I totally agree with you. We talked about this last week. Um <sighs> You know, I don't know if, if going on the road, you know, being your first SEC road game is, is maybe that's the right or the wrong time to maybe insert Henry Ruggs um, as the punt returner. But from from what I've seen out of the young man, hell, I'd, I'd even go on to say that after what I saw Robert Foster do with a, you know, a routine 15-yard, you know, dig route and what he did with it Saturday and Bryant Danny, maybe he needs to get involved with it too. But, you know, I, I think, you know, at least for the, the small three-game sample that we've got, uh, certainly the special teams has been better than what we all expected it to be. Um, you know, my, my final review of the Colorado State game would be, um, you know, I guess I could probably go along with you and, and, and give the offense an A. Um, I'd give the, the defense probably a, B, a solid B. Um, the starters would probably get an A minus, you know, based on what they did. Um, but, you know, I think, you know, when you, when you start looking at that and, and going up against Vanderbilt this weekend, you know, I want to see guys like, you know, Deron Payne, Raekwon Davis, Sean Hamm, you know, do a better job of, of, you know, not only standing their opposing blockers up, but shedding those blocks and making plays, um, you know, for no gain. Um, you know, they're, they're playing, you know, Keith Holcomb, uh, who I think's done a really good job. Um, you know, Mac Wilson's a guy that flashes, but he's probably in the same situation, you know, that Reuben Foster was in early in his career where, uh, you know, his athleticism is, is so off the charts. I think sometimes um, he plays a little bit tight and hesitant. Um, you know, getting Jennings and Evans back, depending and Moses, depending how uh, you know much they get inserted into this game this weekend. 
you know, I would give the offense a A minus, the defense a solid B, and special teams an A as well. Um, you know, there's going to be a lot worse football teams that this Alabama 2017 unit plays on their SEC schedule versus what they saw Saturday versus uh, Colorado State. I mean, Mike Bobo, I thought, did a great job yes. of taking what the Alabama defense gave them. Um, you know, and I think, uh, you know, Bobo's done a really good job of, of picking up and, you know, taking what Jim McElwain left him out there. Um, you know, they're they're a solid football team. I mean, they're not a, a top 25 team, but, you know, they're going to go to a bowl game this year. Would you? I mean, am I crazy not to think they might win the Mountain West? No, I think so. I mean, you know, that, that trend kind of started with Coach Mack. And, you know, I think Bobo's done a really good job of it. You know, he, he's got a – you know, when, when you look at those guys – um, you know, got a former Alabama offensive lineman out there that's the offensive coordinator, even though let's don't kid ourselves, Bobo's the one that's calling the plays. But, you know, I think Will Friend has done a really good job uh, with that offensive line, with what he has to work with. Um, so, you know, you've got two guys that are both former SEC football players and, you know, kind of cut their teeth, uh, you know, both Bobo and, and Will Friend at Georgia as coaches. And, you know, they've gone out there and, you know, they've put a product out there on the field where, you know, I think they can kind of be proud of it with what they do every Saturday, win or lose. Yeah, and they, uh, they've done a very solid job. And, uh, I, again, I think they're going to uh, be a force to reckon with in the Mountain West Conference. And it's going to be a quality opponent, I think, when everyone looks back at it, like Western Kentucky was during that 2012 season for Alabama. Uh, but now they travel to Nashville to play Derek Mason and the undefeated Commodores. Uh, and uh, to me, this is a bad matchup for Vandy. They've got a pro-style offense. Uh, Ralph Webb, who could be their all-time winning rusher before it's said and done. They've played uh, William uh, Middle Tennessee, which is a solid mid-major program. Alabama A&M, which is a, a SWAC-level team uh, that they should hammer. And then they beat Kansas State. Ralph Webb only averaging 2.6 yards per rush. I know Alabama's run defense has been a, a, a little spotty early. But to me, and I, from what I understand, their offensive line has still been a work in progress. I don't see Vandy being able to run the football that well. And I know Shermer's improved, but he's not a mobile guy. I think Alabama's going to give him some different looks and blitz him. I think uh, Alabama's going to win this game 31-7. to I just don't think this is a good matchup for Vandy at all. What are your thoughts? Um, I agree with everything that you just said. And I think that's kind of where um, – you know, where Vegas has the line set at 18 points, um, you know, I, I think that's probably a pretty solid line. Um, you know, look, they've, they've kind of, uh, you know, played some inferior opponents, like you just said. Um, I think probably the, you know, the Kansas State matchup, um, you know, like we talked about earlier, uh, you know, two years ago, a five-loss Auburn team, you know, went to Manhattan on a Thursday night and out-athleted them. Um, you know, that was a team that, you know, didn't have the same talent level that Alabama does. But, you know, I, I think what Nick Saban and Brian Dayball and Jeremy Pruitt, maybe possibly prior to that, that injury dynamic that took place versus Florida State, 
you know, I, I think the game that they probably had circled on their schedule, um, you know, were the experimentation and, you know, what can we get away with and what do we need to work on where all that stuff kind of, you know, would probably stop and start was, you know, the, the game next weekend versus Ole Miss. And, you know, that dynamic has even changed a little bit with the injury to A.J. Brown. Um, the, the, I think the prediction that you just made um, is probably what I would side with. Um, and we'll just have to wait and see, I think, how Derek Mason decides to, you know, because he is the, you know, the Nick Saban, Jeremy Pruitt, Kirby Smart of that Vanderbilt program, and he's a proven commodity as a defensive coordinator. And, you know, you have to, you know, give, give him some props for what he's been able to do with that program up there. Um, yep, especially losing Zach Cunningham. Pardon me. Yeah, and, and you know, that's a first-round draft pick. Um, but, I, but I think we have to wait and see, you know, maybe an hour after kickoff, you know, at, at 2.30 Central time, as to how they choose to go about trying to defend Jalen Hurts you know, whether that game turns into a 31 to 10 or 31 to 7, you know, type game, uh, you know, versus being a little bit more of a nail biter, um, I think that's going to come down to, you know, the way Derek Mason chooses to decide to defend uh, Jalen Hurts versus the way Nick Saban and Brian Dayball, you know, how much do they loosen the rope up that I think that they've had? you know, on Jalen Hurts through the first three games, because I do think there is a rope there. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how they attack. I've, I've, I've liked where the offense is going under Coach uh, Dable. I, I like the uh, the swing passes to, to Bo Scarborough, the way they used him in the passing game and against Colorado State, also Damian Harris. And I, I, I liked what I saw with the, the limited touches they gave Josh Jacobs. They came out in a split backfield. Going to be interested to see if they do more of that against Vandy to give that defense some different looks, William. Well, you know, Drew, I, I, would, I would pose this question to anybody that, you know, thinks it's a bad idea to, you know, throw a, a five- to seven-yard lateral pass to a man the size of Bo Scarborough you know, give him a full head of steam and space, you know, that's 240 pounds, runs a 4-5-40. You know, let's don't forget, um, you know, his senior year when he worked out at multiple camps, um, there, there were some recruiting analysts that saw him get asked to, because you know, he came out the same year as Leonard Fournette. You know, nobody was going to give Bo Scarborough the number one running back rating over Leonard Fournette. That just wasn't going to happen. But he got asked, you know, in several camps to work out at wide receiver. And there were several people in the industry that, you know, after watching him work out at wide receiver that felt like, you know, if, if some, you know, high school coach or college coach made the decision to move him to wide receiver, that he would have been rated a five-star wide receiver along with his five-star running back rating. And so, you know, you've got that. Um, you've got Damian Harris. I think you'll probably see a, a 100% uh, Josh Jacobs being involved Saturday in Nashville. And, you know, you've got a guy, in my opinion, that's, you know, really, really talented. I think he's trying to, um, you know, still get adjusted to the speed of the game at, at the, you know, the college level. 
you know, the, the number one overall player in the country last year, Najee Harris. Um, you know, and if, if Dayball, you know, kind of follows through with his plans, and, and he does involve Brian Robinson, um, you know, in the H-back rotation, um, you know, when, when you start talking about, you know, getting him there, who some people felt like was a borderline five-star running back prospect last year, along with all those wide receivers. I mean, you know, pick your poison. I mean, how are you going to slow that, you know, that train down if you're an opposing defensive coordinator? Um, you know, and that's kind of what, you know, you and I have had this conversation um, off the air, Christ, going back three years now. Um, you know, I can remember in 2014 when I first, you know, saw Jalen Hurts. You know, his average output on a Friday night playing high school football in Houston was 250 yards passing for two touchdowns and 150 yards rushing with two touchdowns. Um, you know, he, he kind of approached that Saturday versus Colorado State. But if he can ever get to where it's consistent output, and, you know, I would take that 50 yards off of his rushing total and maybe apply it to his passing total to where it was somewhere between 250 and 300 yards passing for two touchdowns, 100 yards rushing and two touchdowns or one touchdown. Uh, I, I just don't see how you stop that. And, you know, I think that, um, you know, I was really worried after I went to that first scrimmage and, you know, they were kind of, forcing him to be a pocket passer. And that's just not who he is. You know, if that's what you want, um, you know, give, give Jalen Hurts the number 33 and turn him into a running back and let, you know, Tua Tagliabue as a true freshman, you know, be your pocket passer. But when you look at what he does well and what he's proven to do well, if they'll keep building this offense with all of those talented running backs, all those talented wide receivers, if, if you just – Peel that one that that onion back one layer at a time each week. Um, you know, I think once they get into you know that that difficult part of their schedule, the only really difficult part of their schedule, minus Florida State in the month of November. You know, you might to possibly have if Nick Saban allows it to happen. And you know, that's the sixty-four thousand dollar question: was is will he allow it? But if he allows it. You could have a uh, RPO zone read um, with five-star running backs and five-star wide receivers um, that, that, you know, this team offensively, I think, could carry the defense. And I thought uh, the early, that, uh, that this might happen once the injuries occurred during Florida State, that the offense would have to carry this team. And uh, I think, uh, and I do think the defense has a chance to still be really good top 10 nationally, but we're, ne- we're not going to see the lineup we saw for the first three quarters against Florida State because of the injuries, but they can still be very good. But this offense has the talent, the ability to carry the defense. I agree, William, uh, no doubt about that. Uh, I think they have a chance to be really special, especially as Jalen continues to get more and more comfortable uh, in this contest. And this is the last few minutes of uh, BAM's radio uh, for uh, uh, this week as we are, we've reviewed the Colorado State win and taken a look at Vanderbilt. Uh, really looking forward to this trip to Nashville. I think Alabama 
is going to come out. Is uh, I'll give Keith Holcomb a lot of a shout out. I agree with you. He's played at a very high level. He's kind of been the breakout guy on defense. He and Levi Wallace, who had four more pass breakups last week, uh, but he said you got to set your jaw for SEC play, and I think they know. Uh, that Bandy's going to come in very excited in this game, but uh, that they can make a statement uh, to the rest of college football uh, and get off to the right start uh, uh, in the SEC and be 1-0 in SEC play, move to 4-0 on the year. Fully expecting that. I think it's uh, going to happen. And just got late word from a great source. Looks like uh, that Anthony Jennings has made a lot of progress this week. He and Rashawn Evans are expected to play, but William, as you mentioned earlier in the broadcast, uh, I think you believe that they're both that they're going to be on a pitch count, and that we'll also see Dylan Moses situationally. Yeah, you know, I think you know Moses is on a pitch count too. He's under concussion protocol. Um, and but again, you know, when you look at this matchup, and you touched on this Drew earlier in the broadcast, you know, Kyle. Is you know he's a very efficient quarterback, but he is not the type of quarterback that gives a Nick Saban, uh, you know Jeremy Pruitt slash Kirby Smart defense problems. He's a pro style quarterback. He's not a threat to run. You know if you look at the matchups, um, and I think that's what it all comes down to. You know in every football game it basically comes down to, you know who's better on both sides of the line of scrimmage. Well. That's a no-brainer for this game. You know, does does Vanderbilt have a game-changer at wide receiver, you know, that can bail Kyle Schumer out at times? No, they don't. Um, you know, I think the goal of this game, um, you know, kind of where the onus is, is, you know, Tosh LaPoy, Jeremy Pruitt, Nick Saban, you know, generating a pass rush. You know, that that's what's been – missing, in my opinion, through all three games. You know, even before Terrell Lewis and Christian Miller, um, you know, got hurt, yeah, they were able to affect uh, DeAndre Francois against FSU. But, you know, I, I think that's what the onus on this game is. You know, you know Lewis and Miller are not going to be available until at least after December 1st, if they're available then. You know, get get those young guys like Chris Allen, Dylan Moses, um, you know, a veteran like uh, Rashawn Evans, if he's ready to go, and how much, you know, you want to actually, you know, put him out there and expose him. You know, if you put him out there and he restrains that growing, you know, he's either looking at surgery or, you know, two to three more weeks recovery time. That That's, that's kind of where my concern is. You know, I've seen some um, – you know, lineups this week in practice from people that have been there where, you know, they, they've put Mac Wilson out there on the edge and, you know, and asked him to rush the passer. Um, but that's where I think the, the onus is, you know, through three games out of the 2017 Alabama team is you haven't really seen that production um, from guys like Isaiah Bugs you know, Raekwon Davis, Deron Payne, Deshaun Hand, um, you know, that's where you need to get pressure from is with those, you know, those front seven guys. And so, you know, you know, give a guy like, you know, LeBron Ray a shot. Um, you know, let's see what he can do. Or Quentin Williams. You know, Drew, there's a guy that you and I talked about three years ago 
that we didn't really feel like was going to be a part of the Alabama football program, mm-hmm. uh, you know, into September going into October of his third year and Johnny Dwight. And he's flashed and made some plays in the first three games. Um, so, you know, I just think when you start looking at matchups, um, you know, Alabama should win this game. They should win it, you know, win it handily. Um, but I think how that scenario turns out depends on, uh, you know, whether Nick Saban and Brian Dayball take the leash off of Jalen Hurts and, you know, how many of these young guys in the front seven of Alabama's defense, you know, can Jeremy Pruitt and Tosh LePoy develop and, and feel, you know, comfortable with that they know their assignments and they don't revert back to, you know, the technique that they played in high school. You know, there's a reason, you know, I think that all Alabama fans um, should try and figure out as to why Nick Saban, you know, in every recruiting uh, recruiting class tries to sign, you know, five, six, or seven elite linebackers. You know, you can, you know, turn on the game film of Florida State and see them all go down in a hurry. Uh, but, you know, I, you know, I expect that game Saturday to be closely tested maybe for a quarter and a half. But I'll be really, really, really wrong. And the first person to come back on this show next week and say, I was really wrong about that if the game is close in the third quarter. Yeah, I think that's about the way it's going to go. I think Alabama's going to pull away in the second half and ease away. We may even get to see some of Tua Tungavailoa in the fourth quarter and hope so to continue to get his feet wet. Well, William, we always appreciate the time and the insight. It's been a great hour of BAMS radio. Uh, Really, uh, I always enjoy the conversation. Have a great rest of your week, and uh, we look forward to catching up with you uh, next week. We're going to record the show a little earlier uh, in the week next week and review the Vanderbilt game and look ahead uh, to the SEC home opener against the Ole Miss Rebels. Thank you, and have a good night. Hey, Jerry Thomas, thank you, guys. That's William Redfish Barger as we are wrapping up this edition of uh, BAMS Radio for the week. Uh, I want to appreciate the Tide Nation for listening. I know everybody's excited that BAMS Radio has become uh, come back in this format. Uh, we appreciate all the support and all the messages on Twitter, uh, Facebook, and other social media. We enjoy putting this together for the Tide Nation. We hope you enjoyed it. And uh, Roll Tide, enjoy the trip to Nashville. Those that are going to attend in person and those that uh, watch it on TV, enjoy your weekend to college football. Should be some very interesting matchups uh, along the lines with, as we already talked about, with Georgia hosting of the Mississippi State Bulldogs and Kentucky facing uh, Coach McElwain at home, undefeated, coming off that big road win at South Carolina, a four-straight win over the Gamecocks. Kentucky looking to stay unbeaten and end that long losing streak to the Florida Gators, and we'll talk all about that next week on BAMS Radio. Everyone have a good night, and again, roll tide. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family cannolis and spins mean everything now you want to get mixed up in the family business introducing the godfather at chumpacasino.com test your luck in the shadowy world of the godfather slot someday i will call upon you to do a service for me play the godfather now at chumpacasino.com welcome to the family vgw group no purchase necessary void where prohibited by law see terms and conditions 18 plus